0: If we really want to reduce unwanted pregnancies, maybe focusing on the male side of the equation is better than focusing on the female side. Welcome to Latter-day Lens, unscripted, faith-promoting discussion of current political events with Sean, Sam, and Matt. Everybody, welcome back to the Latter-day Lens. It's good to have you with us. Hope you'll stay with us for a while as we discuss the many important things we have to discuss today. I just can't believe all the important things we have to discuss today. Okay, we've got got some stuff in the mailbag. Now, first of all, I want to say this. I've noticed that our listeners are kind of intelligent people. You guys ask smart questions, and you guys have insightful comments, and uh, you tell us that we're wrong when you notice that we're wrong, and so that's this first one. The first listener says, okay, so this is related to last week we talked about Medical cost transparency. That was your topic, right, Sean? Medical yeah. cost. Okay. And they say that that topic is more complex than our discussion led on. <laughs> I'm shocked by this. <laughs> I feel like we do a lot of research into these topics, but we would never just say yeah, something no. without being sure it was well researched. Anyhow, <laughs> they said that most of the resistance about transparency comes not from hospitals, but from a rat's nest relationship with insurance companies who have benefited tremendously from the complexity of their role as middlemen. And they know also that mm. president Trump was the one that signed the executive order requiring transparency
1: as if, painful as that should be to admit before Sam rubs that in your face, Matt. So I think the crux of the question was actually that the biggest problem for, for pricing was the middlemen. Right. The, uh, the pharmacy oh. benefit managers are the ones who will get eliminated if pharmaceutical companies go direct to consumer as well. Pharmacies. So instead of marketing up five, six, seven times the drug, you're marking it up only once or twice. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's obviously more complex, but.
0: Well, yeah. I'm grateful to the listener because sometimes people will be like, Trump did amazing things while he was president. And I say, name one, name one thing. And I can never think of anything that he did. But now, thanks to this listener, I can say, wait a minute, he signed an executive order that makes it so that I can go to the hospital and say, hey, how much am I paying for that brace?'" I wanna shop around a little bit before
1: I purchase. Oh, that you praised it last week and now you're just being facetious. If Biden got credit, you were real thrilled about the topic. But now that now that Trump is doing it Even last week I didn't like it. I think it's so stupid. Oh that's true. You are <laughs> Nobody good. shops for hospital
0: services on price. That's just yes. one of those things where it doesn't we, matter.
1: That will change Matt, the, the world will change and that will absolutely matter.
0: I still have only one hospital to choose from.
1: <laughs> you gotta get out it. of small towns. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sean,
1: you're going to
0: regret that you said that. <laughs> Small town America is America. Like you California liberals and you think that you know what's best for the rest of us. <laughs> okay. Sam, did you want to say anything in response to that listener about pricing?
1: Matt, Matt I'm just surprised that you live in a, choose to live in a place where there's only one doctor and one dentist and one hospital and one mm-hmm. urgent care and you have no choices. Do you, they're all your neighbors, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't want anybody to know that much about my body unless I see them on a regular basis. And <laughs> I bump into them at church or at the grocery store. I'm like, hey, uh, how's that injury doing that you had a little while ago? And we can have a nice conversation about my health, just like it's casual conversation. It just makes me feel safe.
1: Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> Community. Okay, The other, another listener writes, this is about your story about Realtor, Sean. Yeah, They said, what Sean did in his home purchase was illegal. That story makes realtors look really bad. That seller was robbed by a realtor who was legally obligated to act in the seller's interest. (laughs)
1: Sean is a lawbreaker. That's Actually, it's not true at all. It's not illegal. The seller was presented with a a legal option to reduce commission. They pay because the buyer chose not to have their own agent. That was simply it. I could have gone to the seller and I could have said, hey, let's eliminate all realtors totally so we don't have to pay 30000 No, we could have hired a, a lawyer. They had already negotiated with that realtor some kind of a contract. Not a contract. No, they didn't. They just said, will you re- represent us? And they said, yeah, we'll represent you. And the only contract they signed was when we actually sold and bought the house. What about
0: when the realtor
1: decided to list the home? There's no contract, I don't think. She-
0: Yeah, there is. Whenever I ask a realtor to list my home, I have to sign a contract with that realtor.
1: Oh, maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but what what the contract that they signed with that realtor, again, before we would have met any realtors, we could have just hired a lawyer. The realtors aren't necessarily involved if we want to sell them by home.
0: He's not saying that what you did, I don't think they're trying to say that you broke the law. They're saying that the realtor, what the realtor did was illegal because the realtor is supposed to represent the seller. They did represent the seller. But if there were 50 other offers, maybe there was another better offer than yours.
1: No, the contingency we had was this. If you want seller, I can represent the buyer buyer as well. And if you're willing to trust me to do that, what I'm going to do is reduce my commission. And the contingency was, look, if you get of these many offers, if you get a cash offer that is well above what the house will be appraised for, that will definitely trump all of this.
0: But what if they got a cash offer that was exactly the same as yours?
1: Well, then they had to trust their realtor that, that I was the, a reputable buyer. Well, so anyhow, I don't I don't understand real estate law, but
0: I'm just trusting our listener, Sean. Just like I oh. trust the listener that said Trump was right or Trump did that thing. You should trust the listener that says what you did was illegal. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Okay. It's all right if you don't trust listeners as much as I do, Sean. Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Last one. Now, this one uh, could be considered maybe a topic all its own. Um, So we don't have to discuss it too much if you don't want to. But okay. This listener says they have a plan to save Ukraine. And it's 100% perfect, and it fits on a postcard. So here's the plan to save Ukraine. Step one, the U.S. commits to cutting off all aid to Israel when the price of oil goes below $20 a barrel. I think right now oil is at like $80 a barrel.
1: What's the mechanism to force it down to 20 a barrel?
0: Well, that's the next part. Oh. But when when oil was below $20 a barrel for a long time, that's when the Soviet Union collapsed. So... There's a lot of thinking out there that says if you get oil prices below $20 a barrel, then the Russian economy is not sustainable. Oh, okay. so that's,
1: that's the point? Oh, okay. okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it says the remaining steps would happen automatically. So step two, Saudi Arabia and Iran would immediately increase oil production, and that would cause the price of oil to plummet. Right? And Russia's oil revenue starts falling through the floor. The Russian economy goes into free fall step five the russians eat putin (laughs) and it says it has the additive advantage of slowing israel's genocide (laughs) (laughs) what do you think about this plan sean using israel as a prop as a tool to uh manipulate oil prices
1: i I, maybe i'm dumb i just what is the mechanism to force the the price of oil down to $20 a barrel. How would you cause that to happen?
0: Saudi Arabia and Iran do not like the state of Israel. So if the United States were to say, we will not protect Israel if oil is below $20 a barrel, then that incentivizes Iran and Saudi Arabia to produce oil so that Israel loses the support of the United States.
1: Now I understand. Wow, that is pretty... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait it's a hundred percent perfect
0: <laughs> And what do you think matt i think that it is important for us to support the state of israel i do think it's also important for us to protect ukraine i think we need to find ways to do both of those things simultaneously
1: yeah i agree with that
0: the parent inside of me likes the idea of manipulating everything in the world <laughs> and trying to control things um But I don't think that that's what friends are supposed to do.
2: Don't you remember, though, thinking about the people who were supposed to overthrow Putin? Wasn't it the billionaire oligarchs, all the rich Russians that would be impacted by all the trade restrictions and all the freezing of assets and stealing of yachts and whatnot? Like those, that group was supposed to eat Putin alive.
0: Yeah, so what happened was India and China are purchasing oil illegally from Russia at Cheaper prices at $50 a barrel. So Russia is saying, Hey, we're willing to go through all of these back channels to get you guys cheap oil, cheaper than what you would get on the market otherwise. And they can make a profit on it at $50 a barrel. So that's why this soft power approach hasn't worked. So that's why the listener says we got to get it. If all oil prices are below $20 a barrel, then Russia can't use back channels to get cheaper oil to India and China.
2: I know, but this entire argument is based on the idea that. It's the common folk of Russia that would overthrow Putin. And it seems to me in the beginning of the war, everybody thought that Putin's billionaire friends would hang him if they lost their money, their resources, their assets and their liquidity. Like if their yachts were taken away and their helicopters and their airplanes and their freedom, their passports, all that was done and he's still there. Yeah. Why do people think that impacting the common Russian more severely than they've already been impacted is going to create a better outcome. I guess I don't see that.
0: Yeah. Well, the problem for Russia right now, I, I read in the Wall Street Journal recently, they can't afford to win in Ukraine and they can't afford to lose in Ukraine. Their entire economy right. right now is based on selling oil to build weapons. And whether they win or lose, they're in a tough space. My Always my concern is, is that if you have a nuclear-powered state that fails for whatever reason, then that gives people incentives to sell those nuclear weapons, those nuclear secrets, all of the technology yes. and things that the Russian state has, sell that to bad actors. And sometimes that could be worse
2: than what's what we already have right now. I think it's interesting that that hasn't happened. You look at all the volatility that's in the former Soviet bloc, that that's never happened. The U.S. prevented it by taking nukes from Ukraine when it was the most volatile and, and yeah. isn't it interesting that no one has used a nuke yet? That's interesting.
0: It is surprising to me that it hasn't happened. Maybe they're waiting for the right time. Maybe they want to shoot one into space, and they've decided that's the best place to use a nuclear weapon. I, he- I heard that <laughs> on the news, too.
1: My goodness. That,
2: that's a, that that's was in a, the that's news this past week. Yeah, somebody threatened <laughs> yes. that. Yep, yeah.
0: Okay, well, hey, listeners, those were very interesting, uh, thought-provoking ideas. And uh, keep writing in. Keep letting us know what you think. And when we're wrong, we're not ashamed to admit it, are we, Sean? We're happy to. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, let's get to the thought provoker. I get to go first this week. Okay, now listen. This segment is about provoking thoughts. And so
1: <laughs> preface
0: preface the question. <laughs> it's possible, but this is a really bad idea.
2: It's probably probable. <laughs> this is such a bad idea we talked about this on the tail of last week's show after we stopped recording and i was aghast But I'm excited to see that the listener will get the opportunity to to preview this concept, Matt. And I just want to hear how you're going to set it up in such a way that it'll be mildly palatable to any American anywhere.
0: (laughs) Now, on that setup, it's your turn. So there's exciting new research in the field of male contraceptives. I know listeners maybe Mm. haven't been following that field too much, but there are a number of medications that a man can take that will make it impossible For him to impregnate a woman. The work is very preliminary at the moment, but the findings suggest that taking the medication has no long-term side effects on the man or his ability to produce viable offspring in the future. So that's a positive thing, it's not a permanent thing. It's just temporarily a man cannot impregnate a woman. I'm always looking for new ways to discourage unwanted pregnancies. I also don't like that abortion policy focuses so much on women and what they should or should not be able to do with their bodies. It's pretty easy to conduct a paternity test and identify who the father of any child is. So is it morally appropriate to mandate that fathers of children who are the offspring of an unwanted pregnancy take one of these safe medications to prevent them from fathering any more unwanted children?
2: And wait, you have to add who would require that this medication be administered, and at what point? What triggers it, and who requires it? It would be a law. A court of law. It's a law. Is it a police officer? Is it a judge? Is it a... Somebody from Department of Family Services, DFS, a court.
0: Let's say that there's a couple that has an unwanted pregnancy and the woman says, I want to have an abortion. And they say, no, you can't. It's against the law in whatever state to have an abortion. So the woman is forced to carry the baby to full term and give birth to the baby. And then maybe she gives it up to it for adoption or whatever. And then the man say, they say, here, you got to take this male contraceptive. It'll make it so you can't have children for, I don't know five years and (laughs) now we've reduced a whole lot more unwanted pregnancies because that's the consequence for the man the woman has the baby the man can't impregnate any more women for a time (laughs) that's awesome right it's safe it's effective so they sit in court is this done in court is this done in a it's a citation it's like it's like the police officer pulls you over and you do a little swab of their mouth to get the dna or whatever you need to do to figure out the that you're the father sean
2: before i launch into this why, why don't you give your feedback <laughs> okay <laughs> well i tested this question with some friends and huh? they were very oh, confused not the medicine, and, angry. and then okay. they got angry yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not the sean's medicine, been injecting people yeah. with yeah. yeah. angelical <laughs> friends are angry are they angry <laughs> yeah yeah because i injected them yeah
1: This is – well,
2: one of the responses
1: I got was, well, wait a minute. Are you talking about like sexual predators like sterilizing or or castrating? And I'm like, no, that's not the discussion. No, 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 no. And I says, but it's along that line, right? In other words – It's not. It's a
0: safe medicine like – Men are going to choose to take this because they don't want to wear condoms. Like, it's not like it's a bad drug or some awful thing you're doing to them. You're just saying, listen, you're going to take this drug and you're not going to be able to have kids for a while.
1: Well, but they thought and originally they thought, let me voluntarily take this thing because it's a good contraceptive that's safe. Right.
2: Let's talk about a scenario in a place where this may commonly happen. Okay, so college, Mm -hmm. college, right? Mm -hmm. You're at a college. Pick the college you want to choose. I don't care. BYU. Someone gets pregnant. Right, OK, BYU. Hmm. So well, let's not do BYU because I could actually see you, happening you. At BYU.: <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's not go to UVU.: Let's go, out, of, out of the state of Utah, out of the state of Utah, two oh, people get together. Harvard. they have a relationship. There's a baby born. Yeah, Harvard, let's do that. Sean likes Harvard. There's yeah. a baby born, <laughs> and the mom says, "I don't want the baby. I'm going to put the baby up for adoption." Is it the adoption map that triggers the temporary castration of this guy?: It's the unwanted pregnancy.
0: The woman just okay. has to say, I don't want this baby. And unless the father is willing to say, give me the baby.
2: And at that moment, I don't want the baby. Dad says, I don't want the baby either. Mom has the baby. So so that's that situation. Dad is given a ticket, you say, by a court. And then a police officer comes over and administers medication, well, to makes and- him Is he impotent or is he okay? He can no longer have kids.
0: Yeah. There's different ways that it works, but sometimes it just makes it so the sperm can't find its way to
2: where it's trying to go for a time. This may possibly be the dumbest idea we've ever brought up on the show. (laughs) And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. Because government has absolutely no place in this social issue. Get government out of it. Matt, you and your do good Democrats you want to inject yourself into these, into these topics, and, and you want to be the guardians of social policy. Stay out of it. Stay out of it.
0: Listen, the conservatives who are making it illegal for a woman to have an abortion— how are they not already overstepping the bounds of government when they're telling these women that they can't have abortions
2: i happen to agree with it i think government should stay out of the moral aspect of abortion and having a baby you're trying to administer a medication to a young man that may make him unable to have a kid for several or multiple years which if it goes awry and it's not tested yet may make him unable to have kids forever and ever right that's a challenge i i think the the penalty is worse
0: than the crime. You take that young man and change it to a young woman, and that's exactly what abortion policy is doing in the U.S. right now. So I'm just trying to find – if a woman gets pregnant, she cannot get pregnant again.
2: That's a good idea. Let's take one wrong, <laughs> inflict another wrong, and we'll make two wrongs equal a – I forget what the All statement right, is. It's All right, basic right.
0: mathematics. Yeah.
1: A negative times a negative okay. equals a positive.
2: <laughs> hey, Matt. Positive. <laughs> I'm definitely giving
1: you the points here because – yes. Your motive in this oh question, goodness. I think, it's the right motive, right? The fact that interesting you have two people who cause an unwanted pregnancy, a man and a woman. And mm. although there's some laws like child support, those are hard to enact. Those are hard. So you, what you have is a lot of men being able to skirt their huge responsibility. And the burden falls on the woman to either make the hard decision to have an abortion or to raise a child or to go through the hard emotional process of giving that child up for adoption and the burden falls upon the woman. And we do nothing as a society. We don't do very much to hold that man accountable, right? Like I know multiple Mm. men who avoid playing, paying child support by simply saying, I'm going to quit my uh, science profession. I'm going to go do roofs for cash. So I don't have to pay all this money and live like a pauper."
0: My dad did that. Yeah. My dad did that.
1: Yeah. It's common, right? Yeah. So, so men skirt. Sc- so, I, Matt, you get the points because you, you're trying to address a really, really important issue. Why does this burden have to be on the on on the women? That's not fair.
2: <laughs> I don't disagree that women shouldn't bear the burden of it, but I do disagree that the government should be the entity that exacts the equalizing punishment or penalty. That just makes no sense to me. Just makes no sense.
0: Here's just a thought that I want to simmer, Sam. A woman can have an unwanted pregnancy only one time in nine months because while she's pregnant, she can't get pregnant again. But a man can go around and impregnate a whole lot of women in that nine-month period where this woman is not having more unwanted babies. So I'm just saying, like, if we really want to reduce unwanted pregnancies, maybe focusing on the male side of the equation it's better than focusing on the female side.
2: I have a better idea. Matt? And to my children who are listening, I apologize profusely for this idea. <laughs> How about if we just take, we just switch them. Like if the guys end up doing wrong, let's just switch all the things that make these things happen and we'll just see how the guys feel about having a baby. <laughs> there's actually so, a guy. Okay, okay hang on. Is,
1: hang on. So s- just Sam accused Matt of bringing the stupidest solution possible we've ever heard. Sam so, just So it. I brought
2: a dumber <laughs> I brought a
1: dumber idea. There's a movie. Yeah, there's a movie about that, Sam. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in it and he got pregnant. Uh,
2: I haven't seen okay. it. Not allowed to watch those movies. Sam, do you want to give me points for this one? Because I don't want to give you points. No, it's a terrible okay. idea. It's, it's, it's an All awful right. idea. We I said it after our recording last week, and I stand by it wholeheartedly. Okay. Terrible idea. Uh, I give, I give extra give points, to points. Matt.
0: <laughs> Okay. Oh, my All goodness. Right. All right, Sam, you got the next topic.
2: Ah. <laughs> okay, so it's interesting. If you go back in the employment situation and you go back into society Two decades ago, as a kid new to in a workplace, you learned certain skills to communicate. You learn how to shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye, have a conversation, ask questions. Fair? That was a mm-hmm. basic skill that you would learn as a new employee in whatever your employment situation, whether you were in sales or you worked in a restaurant somewhere. Today, there's less emphasis on that because the methods and modes of communication are so diverse. And in fact, kids really control in a lot of ways, different modes of communication. So here's my question. As a parent, should you communicate with your kids in their preferred method of communication or should you require kids to respond how you communicate? Right. So I, when I want to talk to Matt, I will call you up on the phone, right? Yes. Yeah. A kid who you teach in college may prefer you to call them on Snapchat or text them on some other alternate platform. Do you as an adult in today's world have an obligation to communicate with youth in the method they prefer, or should they be taught to expand their horizon, broaden their scope, and communicate in the way you want to be communicated with,
0: Matt. like a letter, where you where you write it, write yeah. it a letter on a piece of paper and mail Ca- it to them, carrier <laughs> pigeon. Because my kids, I have a grandma who's in her nineties, and that's her preferred method of communication is writing a letter to her. And so yes. we even got her at one of those meta portals so that we could just talk to her whenever and it would just pop up. But she felt like it was of the refuses. devil and that somebody was, yeah, that she thought somebody was spying on her. or There was a demon or something in, in her which, house, which they are. And so, They're yeah, every Sunday. <laughs> That's true. So I think that we should communicate with people in the ways that make them feel comfortable. This seems like a really simple question, Sam.
2: Sean, <laughs> it is a very simple question.
1: <laughs> well, I'm trying to see what the Latter-day, what the Latter-day lens angle would be. or if It would be Heavenly Father. For Heavenly
0: Father speaks to uh, us in a language that we understand. Heavenly Father doesn't say, hey, start talking to me in the way that I prefer.
2: Well, I, I guess. Prayer, by the way, if you look at it from a religious perspective, we're taught to pray in a certain method using certain language. Yeah, but
0: you can really pray however you want Out of to respect
2: and reverence. You can, but that's not necessarily
0: God telling you you have to say thee and thy and thou and all of that stuff. That's the stake president. The bishop. Or the the manual or something. Yeah, some.
1: But, Matt, if we're going to go along this line, then the scriptures do pretty clearly teach that the way that God answers us is through one very specific way, which is through the Holy Ghost.
0: Yeah, but the Holy Ghost speaks to people mm. in a lot of different ways. Not Snapchat, Matt. Uh, well, so maybe not through technology, but like... Like if you were to go through and list all the ways that the Holy Ghost speaks to people, there's like the still small voice that tells you in your mind, it tells you in your heart. So there's in the scriptures where the Holy Ghost shakes your bones. There's like all kinds of ways okay, that Okay, this people... is good.
1: Now, okay, Sam, this has gotten into a good area where Matt and I might disagree a little bit. Oh. So yeah, I had a friend who would always say, oh, well. I know I'm feeling the Spirit when I cry. When I cry, I know I'm feeling the Spirit. For sure there's just...
0: people that feel the Spirit that way.
1: Yeah, I know, but he was arguing that...
0: Every time he cries? Did you like... He's like pinch him.
1: Yeah, exactly. Crying equals filling the <laughs> spirit. There's other people I know who would come home. You know, I talked to them in the evening, and they'd say, "You know, today I was really concerned about something, and I was praying, and I drove by a billboard, and the word on the billboard was an answer to my prayer, and that was God communicating to for me for sure." Okay, but then I would ask both of these people. So, what is the non? Remember when Joseph Smith? I was always bothered in the first visionary count when Joseph Smith said, look, I I know God, the Father, and Christ were standing before me because I saw them and I heard them. I saw them with my eyes. I heard them with my ears. And I'm like, well, that's a lost opportunity because all through Scripture we are taught that the Holy Ghost is not an eyes and ears experience. It is a spiritual experience. So I was bothered that Joseph Smith lost that opportunity. then one day I read Joseph say, their brightness and their glory defied all description. And I was like, well, why did it defy description? Why could he not describe their brightness and glory and it dawned on me it's because he was having a spiritual experience it was through the holy ghost the feelings the experience so i would ask my friend who saw the billboard what did you what was the spiritual experience that teaches you that that was from god and not just a coincidence or something you liked. maybe to hear? it was like the hair on the back of their neck stood up maybe they felt chills but those are bodily reactions those are physical reactions you can't you can't say that whenever you feel chills that's the holy ghost or whenever you cry or wherever, whenever you get a word pop mm. in front of your face there has to be a dis i was just having this debate with my friend yesterday there has to be a discernible experience where we know what the holy ghost is but
0: it's different for
1: everyone well i think the outward experience or expression is different for everyone yeah but i don't i wouldn't i would disagree with you that that god sends the holy ghost to you and it would come the only discernment or evidence is it chills on your neck and he sends it to me and it's a burning in my bosom. Yeah, yeah, for sure that happens. Yeah, I disagree. I don't think so. Oh, okay. I think that the chills on the neck, the crying is a result of us feeling a common discernible Holy Ghost. Otherwise, how how possibly could we discern whether or not it's from God or from our own emotions?
0: You learn it in time. You learn how the Holy Ghost communicates with you. You learn how God communicates with you in time. If I go through the scriptures and I read all the different ways that people feel the Holy Ghost, I felt it in all those different ways. Shaking the bones, burning in the bosom, thoughts in my head. Still small voice. Yeah. right. a mighty wind sometimes. You can't like say this is it and then this isn't. Like maybe you're going to feel a burning in the bosom and I'm going to feel shaking of the bones and that's fine. No, I totally
1: agree with that. But I do think that there's a common, right, there's an attribute to the Holy Ghost. We truly believe the Holy Ghost is, is a real being, a real person. Yeah. And the way that he influences us is a specific way that's attributed to him.
0: You're saying to Sam's question, the Holy Ghost speaks with us how the Holy Ghost speaks. And then we understand it. It's up it's on us how we understand it?
1: Uh yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to argue from a scriptural perspective. Yeah. Right.
0: I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying the Holy Ghost speaks to us in a way that we can understand. And He changes how He speaks to match us. That's the that's the part you don't think is true? <sighs> that's interesting. I mean God speaks to us in our own language, Sean. He speaks to us in our own time and circumstances.
1: That's a good example. Let's say I'm in Ukraine and I'm kneeling next to Alexey, and we're praying. And God answers us both, let's say, gives us revelation through the Holy Ghost. That's yeah. true, that in the mind of, of Alexei, he's going to hear the message in Russian, in his own language. And yeah. in mine, any message is going to be in English, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But the common discerning experience, I, I don't love using the word feeling, because that makes it feel like it's an emotion. But the common feeling in our hearts is going to be... A, Something on the range of a still small voice to a burning in the bosom, but it is discernible and recognizable as love and peace and joy and, and the common feelings of the Holy Ghost. It's not just the language that we hear in our minds, right? It has no. to be in the spirit.
0: Uh, okay. I think that there are people that are more logical and there are people that are more emotional. And I think that the Holy Ghost speaks to people in a way that kind of fits who they are. And so I think that emotional people are unlikely to hear kind of like logical reasoning sorts of things from the Holy Ghost. They're going to be more likely to have feelings as the way that they experience it or communicate with the Holy Ghost. And logical people might have fewer feelings,
1: um, but they would have more like words and guidance and direction or thoughts. Let me follow up a question to that. So do you think it's possible for someone to receive revelation without experiencing any sort of, I don't like the word feeling, but any sort of, spirit feel like joseph smith described it in the king of discourse he says when god reveals truth to you it's as if his spirit speaks directly to your spirit in the absence of the body and i believe yeah. that and so do yeah. you think that someone can receive revelation and feel that spirit can someone receive revelation through the holy ghost and not feel anything not have yes. a discernible experience oh i yes. disagree I 100% no it's 100
0: percent true i know i know people like personally that have never felt anything when they feel the Holy Ghost. They don't feel the Holy Ghost.
1: That can't That's be not possible. how the Holy Ghost speaks to them. But that can't be possible because... It the is way possible. That the, well, the they, way that the scriptures describe the discernment, the way we discern whether it's from God or not, always comes through the experience or the feelings or the fruits of the Holy Ghost. In other words, there will be... Here, and here's the other evidence of that, Matt. The the, the the biblical definition of faith is there. it's a substance of things hoped for, and an evidence of things not seen. So mm-hmm. the evidence that comes from something we don't see is a discernible spiritual feeling or experience through the Holy Ghost.
0: Yeah, but if you look at that in the New Living Translation, it says something different.
1: Yeah, it does. It says, it says not substance evidence. and evidence. It says, it says the evidence,
0: right? It's, it's the substance evidence. and
1: evidence. In the, yeah, but in the translation it says sub, uh, not substance, but um, it oh, doesn't well, change me, the yeah. meaning. It's, uh, oh, I think what is it does. Word?
0: Anyhow, Sean, I'm going to give you the points for this one because you tried to make Sam's crazy question into. Here we go. Here's the New Living Translation. (laughs) Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Assurance, yeah. Assurance. Yeah. So assurance can come without a feeling or without an emotion.
1: But there's a distinction that is very important to make the Holy Ghost isn't an emotion. Without a feeling. Not at all. Without a feeling. But again, that's why it's important to to, to distinguish between a feeling and an emotion, right? We feel emotions in our brains and in our bodies. Mm -hmm. We don't feel the Holy Ghost in our brains and in our bodies. Our brains and bodies react to the feelings, the spiritual feelings of the Holy Ghost. It's Mm -hmm. a spiritual experience. That's why Joseph couldn't describe it because it wasn't a mortal mind-body experience. It was a spiritual experience in the absence of his body.
0: There are a lot of very, very logical people who don't experience anything remotely close to that when they experience the Holy Ghost.
1: I would challenge that. I would suggest that they probably, like many of us don't often recognize when when our spirits are communing with the finer material called spirit. Yeah. But it is definitely happening. That's the way we discern it. Yeah, we may not recognize it and just think, hey, I just got a huge, amazing, wise thought that just came to my brain and it was logical. But sometimes they
0: don't even get the thoughts, right? Sometimes all they get is the sense that whatever you do is going to be okay or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's This is a complicated topic, Sean, but I'm going to give you the points for it because I thought Sam's question was so
1: stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam dropped off so he can't defend that, uh, but he'll enjoy that comment right there. That's right. Okay, hey, Sean, you're next up. Well, you got me going on a religious topic, so I'm going to keep with it. But actually, this is a really fascinating one to me. This is fascinating. So Elder Christofferson, he spoke recently of the rise of clinical depression among teenagers globally, noting that Latter-day Saint youth are not immune. A church study of member youth showed that globally in 2018, so a number of years ago, 29% struggled with clinical levels of anxiety. This is what his report was. A 2022, a more recent systemic, not church, but just uh, a scientific systematic review highlighted the alarming global prevalence of depression symptoms among adolescents aged 10 to 19, reaching as high as 34%. And there's a reference that you can see in the notes. So I remember Matt in 19, like, 95 or 96, when we were on our missions, you were, there was something you would preach to me a lot. And I was like fascinated why you'd always preach this. And I always thought, oh, Matt's just, he's just an intellectual. That's what he is. He's trying to dig <laughs> deep and And here was the quote from Elder Boyd K. Packer. And you taught me this a lot. True doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. The study of the doctrines of the gospel will improve behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior.
0: Yeah. I think he's right about that.
1: Right? That is why we stress so forcefully the study of the doctrines of the gospel. Well, when in this talk of, uh, from Elder Christofferson, he went even further. And this is a really, really bold statement. So I'm curious at what you think of this. If we can lead our youth and young adults to spiritual rebirth, depression will evaporate and any anxiety in their lives will be quite manageable. He goes even further and says, even death itself cannot threaten their peace once they have been born of the spirit and have learned to trust in God. So what do you think? Is this true or is this just simplification of a really complex modern challenge
0: is this in a general conference talk no he spoke to like all of
1: a huge youth fireside so it was very public and it was to yeah all the young adults and youth.
0: so my my thought on this is i think that there's multiple causes of depression and anxiety and so i always try and keep that in mind when i'm talking about this it is true that there can be biological things that happen in your brain that cause depression and cause anxiety, and that you need medication and you need clinical help in order to correct those sort of biological challenges. There's also things that, like habits we develop and things that we develop through the course of our lives, like maybe it's a maladaptive, like Sean, you shared this story once about where you drink milk, right, to deal with anxiety,
1: and you develop
0: a good behavior that helps you manage anxiety.
1: Yeah, it was a placebo that helped my brain overcome what my brain was causing, which was anxiety. Yeah,
0: but I don't know if I'd call it a placebo. I would just call it like a trick or a tool or some kind yeah. of thing. And there's there are psychologists and therapists out there that have tons of these kinds of things that people can use. And so I think that there are lots of situations where clinical help and professional help is necessary to deal with depression and anxiety and suicidal tendencies.
1: So let me ask you an opinion on that, though. I've often looked back at that story about when the doctor said to me, Oh, you don't need to panic anymore, Sean. I know what you're going through. It's called anxiety. And the way to solve that is drink a big milk and breathe for ten minutes, and then you'll stand up and it'll be gone. Was not that what he taught me faith? Wasn't that what Christopher's elder Christopher is talking about here?
0: No, I don't think I that's th- what he's saying. You don't think so? No, he's talking about faith in Christ. He's talking no, about No, I know,
1: but but the concept and principle that I could I could put trust in something that is unseen, that is true. Right? The truth that existed was my brain invited the anxiety in and was controlling it so my brain could push it out. Yeah. I think that's true. And so he was causing me to put faith in something, no?
0: I, maybe. I don't know. I do know because I deal with anxiety and it's situational. There are situations that cause me deep anxiety. and these like mental tricks and things like that, where there's like, talk to yourself and say, it's not that threatening. It's not that bad. You're going to get through it. None of that stuff works for me. I've never tried to drink a glass of milk thing, but it really, <laughs> but prayer really does work for me in these situations where I will kneel down and I'll pray and I'll say, I'm really worried about this. I don't know what to do. And then heavenly father will help calm me down and help kind of mm-hmm. help that go away. And I, I can remember what my life was like before I had a spiritual rebirth And what my life was like after that. And so I do think that what Elder Christofferson is saying is true. That there are millions, maybe billions of people on the planet who've never had any kind of a spiritual rebirth. And I think that for a lot of them, coming to know Christ and being born again will change their life in important ways. It'll change the way they see things. It changes the way they approach problems. And all of that stuff could help reduce depression and anxiety. But I, I don't know that it would cure it completely
1: yeah and i think you're right i mean isn't christopherson a lawyer i don't know yeah yeah he's a lawyer it seems perfectly stated like a lawyer would state it because he's not saying that it would completely cure it and heal it
0: but he says what did you say oh anxiety would be quite manageable yeah and death cannot threaten so i I guess it depends on the context right there are people that worry a lot about death and worry a lot about the death of others and it's true that when that with christ in your life that stuff is not so frightening and not so terrifying as it is. Yeah, because otherwise. of the hope, right. Depression will evaporate. I don't know what evaporate means. I don't know how to quantify that.
1: I think that's lawyer speak for making sure you're not saying that it will com- you'll have no depression, right? But it's a fascinating and bold statement. And I think, I mean, I have to agree with you. I've known so many people who had biological chemical imbalances in their brains who were super faithful and converted people and- yeah it did just take this long process of trying to find a a certain medication to balance them out where they could get over what they were going through. So that definitely exists. But what he's saying here, I think is this epidemic of youth. I mean, I'm telling you, Matt, I don't know about you and where you live, but every single kid I talk to, that's my, my children's age, I say, Hey, do you struggle at all with anxiety? Uh, yes 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 the answer is always yes
0: yeah our stake president uh we had a meeting with youth and he <laughs> uh for our ward conference and so in this gathering of youth he said have any of you ever felt anxious he like kind of described anxiety and every hand went up in the whole yeah. room but some of this sean i think is that people are more aware of it now when we were that age if somebody had said anxiety i wouldn't have known what they were talking about i'd have been like What do you mean anxiety? And I don't think you recognize it as such, Sean, when you were dealing with anxiety at that age. Right. So a lot of these numbers, I think, is just that people are increasingly aware of what it is. Not that it's happening more than it did in the past. Do you think so? Really? That's what
1: I think it is. So you don't think that social media and COVID and... All these things have caused a generation of people to have to not be able to handle stress and anxiety and depression the way that past generations have. You think it's the same. It's just there's new words that they're familiar with and saying, oh, yeah, this is what I'm having.
0: I think that just like your doctor gave you an adaptive behavior that helped reduce your anxiety, I think that social media makes people feel like they're dealing with it, but actually makes it worse, right? They're like turning to social media as a way to take their minds off of their problems and unknowingly, they're making it worse. So I think social media is like a maladaptive behavior to deal Mm. with anxiety. And so I do think that social media can make it worse, but I don't think that that changes the prevalence of it, right? It just makes it so that people are not dealing with it as well. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: Yeah, that makes good sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's why I think, I think the numbers would have been the same when we were younger. We just wouldn't have known about it and we might've dealt with it in healthy or unhealthy ways, but we just wouldn't have thought about it in that way.
1: Well, I'm glad Elder Christopherson was bold and said these things. I love having that guidance that says, strive to help our kids to have a change of heart, a mighty change of heart, to have that spiritual rebirth, to come to Christ. And that is going to be the number, that identity and that covenant is going to be the one thing that helps overcome anxiety and stress. I like it.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to give you the point, Sean, because I yeah, like you. killing it. This... You're getting so many points today. Also <laughs> because Sam has disappeared and he's oh. gone.
1: I only get your points in this because Sam's not here. <laughs> no, no, that's
0: why you're killing it today. Oh, there's always oh.
1: many options of like who to give points to.
0: <laughs> in the Book of Mormon, if somebody dies, they say they went the way of all the earth. So we won't say that about Sam, but he's somewhere in the in the Ethernet. I don't know. He's yeah, somewhere...
1: and to his defense, he he had to travel today, so he's in Chicago or someplace, right? So yeah, we know that those democratic cities have really bad internet, right,
0: Matt? <laughs> yeah i don't know what he decided to do
1: all right let's go to the big question sean okay
0: this one is like perfectly designed for you okay (laughs) so many conservatives do not like property or income taxes in fact i hear them say things like it's theft taxation (laughs) is theft and illy unconstitutional right And they look for ways to eliminate or reduce their property or income tax bill. But the reality is that governments need money to pay for basic services. And so what typically happens is states that have low property taxes and low income taxes tend to have higher sales tax. Sales taxes is one example of a regressive tax because it requires a much greater share of income from low and middle income families than from wealthy families to be paid as taxes. The lower one's income, the higher one's overall effective state and local tax rate. On average, the lowest income, 20% of taxpayers face a state and local tax rate nearly 60% higher than the top 1% of households. So here's the question, Sean.
1: When you factor in higher sales tax is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: So like, okay, let's say that, okay, in the church with tithing, we pay 10% to tithing, right? No matter how much you make, 10% goes to tithing. But the way that the tax code gets structured is income tax, right? Maybe the wealthy pay a higher percentage of their overall income in income tax, but they're not paying a higher percentage overall of their income in taxes because they're not buying, because whatever they're spending on food or clothing doesn't amount to that much of their total income. So, When if you have like a 7% sales tax, then that's a a huger proportion, a larger proportion of a poor person's income. Makes sense. And so so then overall, they end up paying a higher percentage of their income in taxes than a wealthy person would.
1: When you put all of the taxes together. Yeah, when you add it all up. So the question is, is it morally wrong for the
0: government to require poor people to pay a higher percentage of their income in taxes than wealthy people? (laughs) And hey, (laughs) Sam's back just in time. To let us know, is that morally wrong?
1: We'll let you go first, Sean. <laughs> I mean, again, I have to take issue with the premise of your question. What are you talking about? I just explained it. No, I know, but I disagree with it. Wait, you disagree that poor people
0: are paying a higher percentage of not, their No, t-
1: Not with that. No, I'm not oh, disagreeing okay. with that. What I'm disagreeing with is governments need money to pay for basic services. Of course, that's true. But you're say- saying it in a way that there's no one would argue that government overspends. Right? Yeah, but you can't change the question, Sean. But I'm trying to... Like, I, if you
0: just go basic services, just just roads. Roads alone, someone's got to pay for roads, right? Which, okay, by the way, if, is a, a new innovation. Governments didn't used to do that. But even if you're going to just go roads or
1: schools... But that's a great example. The government didn't always pay for no. roads, right? Or fire departments or police departments. Okay, or, but a certain amount of taxes will cover a certain amount of services. Okay. Right? And I can pay lower taxes if I have fewer services from government. I'll have to pay higher taxes. You're changing the question, Sean. That's not the question. I'm not. Here's what my point is and it's relevant to the question. If the government provides less services, then overall its citizenry will have to pay lower taxes and poor people and rich people will have a manageable tax rate.
0: I want to know, should a poor person... Is it immoral for a poor person to pay a higher percentage of their income into taxes than it is for a wealthy person?
1: I don't think it's immoral. No, I don't. Really? Because Jesus never said,
0: like, take from the poor to give to the rich.
1: Are you quoting Robin Hood?
0: No, no, wait. Robin Hood (laughs) was take from the rich and give to the poor.
1: Yeah, you're thinking of I don't. I don't
0: think that Jesus would like say take from the poor so that the rich don't
1: have to pay as much. So maybe the poor should pay zero taxes. Is that what you're suggesting? Should the rich pay all of the taxes? In my world, yes. In my world, there you go. uh, Of the three of
0: us, Sam would be the only one paying anything in taxes, (laughs) and Sean and I would be selecting the public services we want him to pay for for us.
1: That's awful, man. That's more immoral. That is more immoral. Then your premise of a higher sales tax makes poor people pay a little more tax.
0: All right. It's shocking. Like, shouldn't there at least be equality that they should pay
1: the same? How would you accomplish that?
0: Then you just you raise income taxes on wealthy people so that they're <laughs> so that it equal it's not hard. This is like simple math, right? It's like, okay, the median income in our community is let's say forty thousand a so year. So a flat tax. You want a flat tax? No, 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 not a flat tax. Why wouldn't right? that do it? Well, you could get rid of sales tax, I suppose. If you want to get rid of sales tax and property tax.
1: Get rid of sales tax and have a flat income tax so that everyone pays 25% whether you're poor or rich. They're all paying the same percentage. That's what you're arguing for here. You
0: could do that. If you got rid of all of the other taxes, then that would be fair, right? That would be at least equal that everyone pays the same proportion of their income. But then you have to figure out like there's these people out there like the way that the super rich do it is... They don't actually ever make any income. They take loans out and they live right. off of the loans, and then they sell assets to pay off the loans, so that they don't have any income.
1: That legal way of avoiding taxes is un, is immoral, is what you say.
0: It would be in, in my opinion, it's immoral if a person's super wealthy and has, let's say, assets of a billion dollars, and they just sell assets to pay for their livelihood, and they never ever pay taxes. Whereas a person who's like living paycheck to paycheck is spending a huge portion of their income on taxes.
1: That seems immoral. Yeah. Do you really think that's immoral? Yeah.
0: Yeah. We all agree in society that we're going to all do our part in society. And so I, I think that it's immoral for a person to try to avoid Paying their fair share,
1: but of, Matt, the of, bil- the billionaire who has 15 30 businesses, employs three thousand people, and the government's taken their chunk of that. There's plenty of taxes being or spread. You around. could say
0: that those three thousand people are enabling that billionaire to have a company, right? Yeah. The billionaires <laughs> you're thinking of it like the feudal system or something like that. That like the billionaire, all those employees belong to that billionaire, and that billionaire is contributing to society somehow by letting those people have jobs. and
1: But if the businesses didn't exist, then all of those people wouldn't be receiving an income and there would be no taxes to collect for this greedy, sloppy government to take and put posters up.
0: So then maybe the best solution is to have no income tax and have only property tax. You only tax the assets that a person owns so that the rich people every year, you just see what their assets are worth and they pay a percentage of whatever they own to the government. And then there's no income taxes.
1: So you've proposed three separate different tax plans. Which one are you going to go with?
0: I'm just going to go with the one that I say it's immoral for (laughs) rich people to pay a lower proportion of their wealth in taxes than it is for poor people. So would you change the law? Because the law enables that. Yes, I would definitely. It turns out that
1: the laws were made by billionaires and rich people.
0: <laughs> and they they write the laws in such a way so as to give themselves an advantage.
1: Why not teach? Why not go and educate? You're in education. Why not educate the younger people? Apply those laws, those codes, those smart ways to save and earn money and retain your own money. Why don't you in education teach poorer or younger people to do that.
0: How to like get a million dollar loan from your father and purchase a business empire so that That's you That's not the only taxes. way to do it.
1: No, you can anyone can create a C corp, an S corp, where the mm-hmm. tax is only on distribution. The taxes are only going to be on-
0: Yeah, but where are know? they going to get their money from?
1: So your issue is they're going to work. They're going
0: to earn it. They're going to go work and earn. They're going to work. They're going to earn a like a, a salary and then they're going to run it all through an S corp so they don't have to pay taxes on it. I mean, that's a tactic that works. Yeah, but that's immoral. That's immoral. You got to pay taxes on the – you have to pay your fair share in society.
1: But if you teach those principles to poor people and it betters their lives and they're able to get out of poverty, that's a better thing than, than having them pay a fair share in taxes.
0: Well, if you are if you have a W-2 income, you're going to pay income taxes on that no matter what, whether you run it through an S-corp or not, right? Right. And and we need employees like the American society doesn't work without having a, a large portion of the society working in industries and in companies. So we don't have to like teach people to live a different lifestyle. We could just use policy to say everybody's going to pay their fair share and you rich people who've been writing laws to get out of it. We're going to get you, too.
1: If you're saying a flat tax makes everything equal, I'd be interested in that. But I don't think you're just saying a flat tax because you're saying that rich people will use their wisdom and knowledge to avoid even counting anything as income. Well, I don't know that I would call it wisdom and knowledge,
0: right? I would call that cheating. It's Some people cheating. will cheat. It's well, legal. It's fully you have legal. To, well, I would, have to, I would write the law in such a way so that everybody pays their fair share. <laughs> and as long as everybody's paying their fair share.
1: Well, it would be fair share. I mean, we got a lot
2: of debt, Sean we got a lot of debt.
1: Okay. So give me a rate. I'm dying. I'm interested. Give me a rate. Well, if you're in charge,
2: Sam's back. I'm fascinated just for a quick question. Cause I'm going to lose internet again. I'd pay my fair share, whatever that is to get good internet, wherever it is. I am, but I'd be curious <laughs> to find out what is Matt's definition of fair share? Like from what perch does he stand to decide what's quote unquote fair and not fair? <laughs> I would say the same proportion,
0: right? The same proportion of your income. Or we could do wealth if you want to do wealth. Proportion, right? It's based on a percent of income. It's not... Well, but not everybody's an income earner, right? So for some people, it would be income, but other people would have to be wealth. I know. I'll use the scripture word for this. Increase. We'll say everybody pays 10% of their increase annually.
2: So what if my increase is children or I learn a new skill? Do you want a piece of my talent (laughs)
0: Yes. Yes, I do. We can monetize that, Sam. Well, for purposes of taxes, we'll just keep it at money, right? We won't take your children from you. So increase of money. Increase in in wealth, right? 10% of your increase
2: in wealth annually. Does a copyright, like does some sort of like an intellectual copyright or patent count as property? Some of those have value, right? So we can assess
0: the value of a copyright or a patent. And sure, let's take 10% of that and give it back to society. We should all be grateful. We should all be anxious to give ten percent back to this country that has
2: given us so much. <laughs> it's we not the country that's day. given us so yeah. much. It's 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 not the country that's given us so much. Again, the Democrats just love this whole idea of saying Sam hey, is not we we a o- patriot. I'm a complete Why patriot. Why do you not love America? Why do you I love not America love this country? <laughs> I'm the one who believes in the, in the American dream, the promise that you can come here and better yourself. (laughs) You're the one who thinks that American dream is dead. This, the American dream is alive and well, not because America gives you something that you don't deserve and you have to pay back a debt. A great entrepreneur that betters the world around him does so and gives others opportunity to create that same life for themselves and for others around them. There's not a debt owed. Somebody that's truly grateful for what they have, they're gonna want to give and give back and build and grow. Government can't do that. All government can do is provide basic defense. There's some basic simple things. I don't think I think this notion of fair share. I think this notion of fair share is overplayed, Matt. It's fair it's overplayed. I think it's tough for you to truly say what fair share means. I am so surprised
1: to hear you guys. Matt, I'm for any policy that reduces taxes overall, because I think I trust individuals, poor, rich alike, to decide what's better for us as a society than bureaucrats who waste, 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 waste.
2: Waste. I hate the concept that
1: someone who is spending someone else's money, someone spending someone else's money on other people. I love I think Milton Friedman was right. The worst way to spend money is to take someone else's money and spend it on someone else. It will be wasteful. It will not be spent wisely. And last week we gave five examples of how that's done in California. I did not
0: like your examples, Sean. Your examples were bad examples.
1: They were true examples.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, I'll let you guys have the last word on this. I really, really tried. I tried to help you see
2: the world through Jesus's eyes. (laughs) Didn't Jesus say, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's? And Caesar's is the stuff that we collect and amass and the culture we build and grow. It's not God's law. It's government's law. Government has no business in anything. Amen. (laughs) I love Ronald Reagan's line. Hello, I'm here with the government and I'm here to help. That's not reality. That isn't a help. It's a hurt. Provide basic services, collect as little as you possibly can to provide those and allow people who are grateful for what they get from the country to give back in unique and interesting ways. That is the role of government.
0: Okay, well, that's going to be the last word. Hey, listener, thanks for joining us. Have a great week. That is all the time we have this week. But that doesn't mean the discussion is over. In fact... We include links to the stories we discuss each week in the podcast description to encourage our listeners' participation. Each of you have an important perspective that builds the Latter-day Lens, and we want to hear from you. Let's continue the discussion on social media. You can find us on Instagram, at latter Lens, on Twitter, at latter Lens, on Facebook, at latter Lens, or you can email us at thelatterdaylens at gmail.com, all one word. Finally, please make sure you subscribe to get updated content each week. Thanks for making us one of the most listened-to podcasts.
2: Podcasts. We love our listeners.